Are you recording this on video or just just audio? We are going to be on both. Uh, we are back live here on our world famous. I guess I knew that. Jiggy Jaguar radio listening. broadcast. I was listening. Yeah, I was listening to the uh, the beer guy actually. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Sending it out to my uh, my friends just now this morning. Now um, we have got a great guest joining us today here on our broadcast. The good doctor joins us. Uh, he'll be joining us here in just a few moments. And um, get a hold of us online at jiggyjaguar.com and of course fifty plus AM FM stations across the country. And around the world, including our good friends at KFRK in Denver. And, of course, thanks for tuning in and being a part of the big program. We have got a great guest joining us today here on our broadcast. Dr. Schmidt is with us. Doctor, how are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Now, you have got a pretty interesting background. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it. Well, to your listeners from Kansas, I grew up in the great city of Hayes, Um, and uh, I left there eventually. I went out to the West Coast and went to college out there for a while. Then I uh, bounced around, did some work overseas in Russia. I studied uh, Moscow State University in in Moscow. I was in St. Petersburg, I was in Estonia. My favorite place is probably Tbilisi, Georgia. Um, Somehow ended up um, back at University of Kansas, go Jayhawks. Really upset about that game, (laughs) it was ugly. And um, I did a master's there in Russian and East European studies and then ended up at Georgetown, go Hoyas, and, uh, and ended up uh, doing work there uh, in comparative politics and in international relations. And then uh, worked for the Army, came back to Kansas, worked for the Army out at Leavenworth at the School of Advanced Military Studies, which is part of the Command and General Staff College, and then eventually uh, came out here to teach and start the National Security Program at the University of New Haven in New Haven, Connecticut. Awesome. Awesome. We have and I got... have three kids and one on the way. Uh, well, that, that's fantastic. <laughs> now, um, you have got a lot of uh, great background, as you just uh, just espoused here. Um, what can you tell us, being on both sides of the coin, studying Russia uh, and, and, and everything, um, there's a lot of folks that have basically sort of realize that this whole thing that Russia, 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 the Russians are always involved and oh my God, the Russians did it. The thing I've always wondered is, for at least from what I can tell, the Russians just want to be left alone and do their own thing. <laughs> They're not interested in politics or any of this crap. Yeah, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Explain that to Putin, us. Uh, see, the thing is, is that Putin was the first alt-right president, really. Um, he came into power in uh, 99 and then ran for election first in 2000. And his his motto was essentially translated as make Russia great again, right? Take it back to the czarist era of the 19th century, make it a great power, Um a lot of the things that Donald Trump said he was saying about Russia. And the thing is, in order to do that, he's got to be involved on the world stage. And a lot of what happened with the Russian interference in the American election, which is copiously documented. Um, in fact, I'm working on some stuff right now about it, is that the the audience for a lot of that work is domestic. It's Russia. Yeah. It's Russians. It's not us. 
So it's as important that Russians understand that Putin has an impact on the most powerful country in the earth, the way he's doing with, with interference here, um, as it is for us to know it, right? As it is for any kind of intelligence he might gather or any kind of political shift he might drop. That said, it's important to note that what the Russians were doing in this, in this influence operation was really exacerbating existing divisions in the American public, not really creating new ones. That's awesome. That's awesome. We have got a uh, great guest with us today. Great insight from Dr. Matthew Schmidt. He's with us today here in our broadcast. He, of course, is a uh, associate professor of national security and political science. He's worked with the Senate and House Armed Services Committee and just been all around the world twice. Uh, he is uh, he is amazing, and he joins us today here in our broadcast. So. Why do all these Americans, like Roy Jones Jr. and Steven Seagal and all these people, what, what, why are they so obsessed with becoming Russian citizens and wanting to be part of Russia? Taxes. Um, so <laughs> that's the, what it always comes down to. For them doing it are just <laughs> much better. That's what it always comes down to. It's just yeah. like it's just like. Uh, Good old JR from Professional Wrestling always says it's cash or creative. It's the cash. <laughs> it's always the cash. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're not really in love with, with, with Russia. They're just trying to keep some of their money. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, look, like if you have that kind of money, you can live really well in Antarctica, right? And Russia ain't that even though it's cold. So it doesn't really matter. And you don't really have to live there. So this is just about moving money in order to protect it from taxes. Look, if you're you and me, I mean, I don't know, maybe you're a billionaire and I don't know it. Oh, I wish I was. If you're an average show, uh, right, then then it's better to be in America. But if you're a billionaire, it's better to be in a lot of places but America. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's what it comes down to. We have got a great guest with us today. Dr. Schmidt joins us here on our broadcast. He, of course, is an expert on Russia. He's wrote one of the most widely cited articles in the government's philosophy. And um, he focuses on Russian President Vladimir Putin's strategic thinking. And uh, one of the things that I recently, uh, I and, and this is fantastic that we're having you on today, but uh, in the United States, you know, we, all these journalists, or so, so-called journalists, they hire all these people like uh, Hillary Clinton's daughter gets a job at, at a at a at a journalism place or uh, Megan McCain gets it gets a job at a uh, at the view or or the the Cuomo brothers openly talk on the air about, you know, running for governor again or, or not running for governor again and all these things. What would happen? You know, nobody says nobody bats an eye at that stuff. But if Vladimir Putin's son gets a job on RT, <laughs> they would just be insane about it. Why, why is it that people just kind of look the other way when it comes to the other cases? But with that, if that were to happen, uh, oh, my God, it would be a major story. I mean, you know, Americans are crotchety folks. And in the end, we, uh, we, we like our free speech. And we like to take down, uh, you know, the top dogs out there. And so that's a lot of fun for us. 
Um, and I think that's, you know, why we go after people like that. I mean, P Putin's got a daughter, right? If, if she were put in, in a position like that, um, I, you know, I'm not sure people would complain about it. Uh, I think they would expect it as sort of the normal run-of-the-mill kind of thing, right? That's what happens in an oligarchy is uh, you just yeah. kind of pass the wealth and the opportunities down. And the Russians, this I might get in trouble for it, but <laughs> they tend to be fatalistic, right? There's a, there's a strain of that there. So it's like, eh, you know, the powerful are going to do what the powerful do, and the rest of us are just going to have to accept our fate. Yes. Uh, you know, and part of what being powerful is, right, is you have more control over your faith than, than other people. So I think that that's a, that's a big strain in Russia. We have got a great guest with us today. Dr. Matthew Schmidt is with us. He joins us live here on Skype. And uh, so you were appointed a member of the U.S. election monitoring delegation to the Ukraine uh, okay. during the 2014 presidential election. How the hell did this happen? <laughs> Um, they were looking for a group called the OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Um, we're looking for people to uh, head to Ukraine in the conditions of the essentially a war, right? The immediate aftermath of the Russian invasion and takeover of the Donbass region okay. in order to uh, proctor an election for a president because they needed to run the war and they needed to have international legitimacy. And so... Uh, Senator uh, Blumenthal's office uh, seconded me to the OSCE uh, to, uh, to to go do that work. And so I was uh, with a group of a few hundred people from there, from all over the world, um, that went and did election monitoring. Stood there, stood there, and, you know, and said, who's, are you stuffing the ballot? Uh, are people allowed to, you know, mark who they want to mark on there? Um, these kinds of things. And our, our job was to, at the end, say, was this a free and fair election or not? That's tremendous. That is just tremendous so what what were some of the different things that you discovered uh during this uh it was an extremely well-run election and i went back uh just let's see it was 14 so i went back just uh to, in night in 2019 i forget what year it is whatever pre-pandemic yes uh, a yes. year or two ago whenever, whenever that was uh, i went back to do the to do the next election for the for the current president uh Zelensky. and um you know, it was it was really well run. What what strikes me is is that, that it was not that different. You would go and you would go to high school and and you know grade school gymnasiums, and people would set things up. It wasn't as uh, technically advanced in some ways, which I don't think was a bad thing. So there were these big square, uh, you know, plexiglass boxes that were clear, and you could you walked in and you put your finished ballot in there. You could physically see the ballots fall in the box. You could physically see the seal on the box that it wasn't broken and. There's this whole sort of elaborate kabuki dance about how you flipped it over in every way so you could see every angle of the box when it was time to to remove the box and remove the ballots and count them in the precinct and then send it on uh, to the government. Um, but it was a lot like anything else, right? Uh, local, local families were sitting out with food and, and feeding people or helping you know, the elderly come in. Um, it was pretty beautiful. One of the things I did like, though, is when you, when you walked into these schools, there were these giant... Um, posters of candidates with um, all of this text about their positions and their background and things like that so when you went in you could read it right there um, and, and awesome. get some you know some kind of information about people you didn't know before you voted um, and generally it was just it was uh, really impressive I mean for the second election I was in a place where the power went out 
you know, during wow. the election and, and, and some, you know, guys had to go out and rewire the, the box to bring, to bring power back in. It was a place where there were outhouses you know, we didn't have a flush toilet, um, where we were. It was, it was not like where I grew up in Hayes in, in mm-hmm. places, right? I mean, there, there were yeah. not that Hayes has outhouses anymore, but, but my grandparents did, right? Yeah. Um, it's not unknown. And so it was kind of like, kind of like monitoring an election that was happening, you know, in, in, in 1940 or something in rural parts of the States. It was really interesting and, and, uh, and really beautiful, honestly. So one of the things, and you, you are a, uh, <laughs> just our, our, our little pre-interview that, that we did and, uh, and, and, and everything, you seem to be a guy who gets it. Uh, I will have to say that every time that I hear about somebody uh, in the meet, whether it's the media or radio or whatever, and they always talk about the Ukraine, I always go to that Seinfeld episode where Kramer and, uh, <laughs> and Newman are playing Risk on the uh, on the subway train, and the and the guy from the Ukraine breaks their game board because y- Ukraine's no game to them. Uh, <laughs> I just always laugh when, when, when I think of the Ukraine. Um, what, why is, uh, what, what, what is the big fascination with Ukraine and Putin and, and, and everything? That's, that is the question. So the first thing I would, I would suggest to listeners is that there's a big difference between saying the Ukraine and saying Ukraine. Yes. Um, in in Russian, if you say the Ukraine, it is a it is referring to the space. Ukraine, the word means frontier. Okay. So it would be something like in the 19th century referring to the Western frontier, right? Versus <laughs> saying Kansas. Yes. Um, and it implies that the Ukraine is a part of Russia. Ah, okay. Ukraine, it just means Ukraine, like an independent sovereign state. So that's that's point number one, right? And it's and Putin is very, um, very conscious of saying the um, when he's talking about it. Yes, and so he gets everybody kind of programmed. So, so that's number one. That's right? it's a awesome. Small point and we, we're all used to saying the Ukraine because that's what yep. we would say when it was the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, so the thing is, is that Ukraine uh, was Ukraine and Russia were the Soviet Union. Without Ukraine, there was no Soviet Union. It was the most advanced part of the Soviet Union in many ways. Um, Quirky things about it right now are that the the Soviet rocket industry and its nuclear um, sort of like machine industry, making the parts for reactors and for, for rockets and things like that, all based in Ukraine because the great, uh, the great Russian, um, rocket scientist right there, Werner von Braun, who's Ukrainian. Um, and so, so when this war happened, for a period of time, the Ukrainian rocket industry was selling parts to the country it was at war with to maintain the Soviet strategic rocket force, the Russian strategic rocket force, right? So, so I, I say this just to illustrate how integral Ukraine is to Russia, how it was to the Soviet Union, how it still is to Russia. It is, of course, a massive producer of agricultural products, right? Ukraine has a kind of cachet in in the Russian mind of of being this ideal of of agriculture and 
um, things like that, right? And so um, it's really important culturally and psychologically to the system, which is part of what, what is driving you know, Putin in there. Of course, it has, uh, it has access to the Black Sea, right? And the Azov Sea. These are important trade routes uh, for Russia. Now, when I say these things, every, everybody goes, somebody who knows a little bit of Russian history goes, oh, they wanted a, you know, a warm water fort. That was 200 years ago, right? Russia doesn't need that now and they have it in the Eastern Black Sea, but still, right? The Crimea is strategically important. And so all of this stuff lays in here. And then here's the clincher that I think most people don't know is that the, the Russian language in many ways and Russian orthodoxy as a religion started in Kiev. Moscow basically didn't exist for another thousand years. And so Russianness is uniquely tied to, to Ukraine. The whole idea of what it means to be Russian, of what, what a people's history is, um, its, its core cultural beginnings, these kinds of things are all situated in this now independent country that is trying to move west instead of east. Right. And that's a big problem if you want to make Russia yeah. great again. That is a uh, fantastic perspective. We have got a great guest with us today. Uh, Dr. Matthew Schmidt is with us, Associate Professor of National Security and Political Science. He has uh, worked with all the major players. Uh, he has just a lot of great experience. And he's from Hayes, Kansas, of all places. And uh, he joins... Hayes America. That's right, Hayes America. <laughs> I was just talking yesterday with a uh, with with a boxing coach friend of mine, and we were talking about well, where where would we put uh, boxing shows and different things? And he was like, "We ought to do one in Hayes, Kansas." <laughs> so, I uh, you know I I I have a uh, a friend who's a uh, who's in the professional wrestling business. He he's always made comments about they ought to do wrestling shows in Hayes, Kansas. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea why. I don't know why these people want to go to Hayes. Uh, <laughs> it's the strangest thing. But um, so, Doctor Schmidt, another thing with this with this Russia situation. Uh, I guess we're covering Russia today <laughs> on the program. Um, the one thing with some of their culture, which I am just, you know, amazed by, um, two, two things. One, uh, why don't we see more, I guess, imported and exported uh, content from Russia into the United States? Like, for instance, um, you know, everybody including my girlfriend, uh, are obsessed with, like, anime and all this stuff from Japan. Why don't we ever see more Russian content? The only thing I can think of that, that people are obsessed with that comes from Russia is uh, Fedor Emelianenko. <laughs> and uh, um, this movie a few years ago that got put out, which was supposed to be like the Russian equivalent of the Avengers... Uh, they had like a machine, they had like a, 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 a giant bear with a machine gun. And, uh, this, th this woman who was in, who, who was, who could, um, transform into water. 
and all this. And it was a really cool movie, and I've seen both versions, the, the Russian version and the Americanized dubbed version. And then after doing some research, I guess it was so, uh, I guess it was so panned badly by the, the Russian viewing audience that the director was forced to go on television and apologize for making the movie. <laughs> Why don't we see more imported and exported content? They get Steven Seagal and Roy Jones Jr. We get yeah. Fedor. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think some of it is is right that like for, for when I was growing up, right when you were growing up, the Russians were the bad guys in all the movies. That too. That too. You know, I, think, I think that sticks, right? So so now if I'm going to have a movie where they're not the bad guys, um, I think that's hard for Americans to stomach a little bit. And now they're back to being the bad guys again, right? Maybe there was a window <laughs> in the '90s where that wasn't the case, but. Um, I think that's part of it. I mean, the Russian film industry is amazing. They they do um, phenomenal work. Um, but I think it's just, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, why do the French not not play well here? Well, because uh, Americans are optimistic, right? We, we have an American ending uh, where, where everything goes right. And the French and the Russians don't do that. Um, their, their films usually end more darkly. And I just don't think that that would play well with, a, you know, an American focus group. But I, I don't know. I'm not a not an expert on this that's just my guess is having having uh you know been steeped in both cultures i guess well it is it is it is pretty amazing that uh this uh the 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 movie that i was talking about is called guardians oh i do know what you're talking about now i haven't seen it but yeah but uh it it it, it it's got a it's got a giant bear with a machine gun that's 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 what i know from the <laughs> From the movie, I'm sure, my kids would love that. <laughs> a teddy bear and an AK. <laughs> so, so that that's that's that kind of adds up with the fact that that the Russians have always been the the heels. That everybody hates, you know, that they're the bad guys. And um, so Matthew Schmidt joins us today. We're having a hell of a time talking to the good doctor. Uh, he is an expert on Russia, all things Russia. Um, does Putin want to run the show again, or is he just secretly running the show and people just go, oh, yeah, no, 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 we got this other guy who's the president? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He's uh, he's running the show. Um, the question is, right, how long is he going to stay? Yeah, um, and there are there are rumors about his health. Um, uh, nothing is confirmed. You know, maybe only the CIA knows. There are rumors about his wealth. Some some rumors put him as the richest man in the world at, at north of two hundred billion dollars. Again, um, you know, we can't confirm these kinds of things. Uh, you know, he he made sure that he was uh, he changed the laws to allow him to run again and to extend the presidential term to six years instead of four. And to make sure that he's a lifetime yep. member um, of parliament to protect him from prosecution afterwards yep. uh, for any crimes possibly committed. Um, but I think he firmly wants to stay in control. Um, and I think his biggest fear right now is that, uh, you know, is, uh, is Navalny, Alexei Navalny and uh, the protests uh, going on over there and the, the risk that there is enough um, sentiment in the population to push back. Yes. Uh a couple Putin questions uh, that I always have. And of course, th this is just me being an idiot. 
because that's just what I am. Um, why does Daniel Craig and Vladimir Putin look like the same guy to me? <laughs> I just always... So, it's a strange deal. It's like... <laughs> you never see them in the same spot together. Every time I watch a James Bond movie, I'm like, what is Putin doing in here? And, I, have you, I have to send you one of my profile pics where, where I uh, have myself with sunglasses next to Putin in sunglasses. Or I could be shirtless and, and uh, saving cranes in Siberia. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Dr. Schmidt with us today. He is the Associate Professor of National Security and Political Science. He's putting up with me today here on our big program. And um, so, some other things that I've wondered about with Russia and all these different things. Um, why is it seem that you know you you, you mentioned that that Russia is, in the eighties? You know they were always the bad guys in all the movies. You know you 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 had um the, the Rocky movies. Uh, you had, oh, I <laughs> you, had you have all the various yeah. all all the various movies um, in professional wrestling, uh, the Koloffs. Nikita and Ivan, they were from Russia. Come to find out later, Nikita Koloff is just some guy from Detroit who uh, had a Russian accent and still to this day has a Russian accent. Uh, he's made a lot of money on that Russian accent. He he even legally changed his name to Nikita Koloff a few years ago. But um, the thing is, these is it just because they make good bad guys or... Is there something they're doing that the rest of the world doesn't realize they're doing? <laughs> Why is it it's always the Red think, Scare? It's always the bad guys. It's oh, it's Russia. I, you know, we we made them that way, right? We made yes. them that way. McCarthy made them that way. But I'll tell you what. While we're, while we're talking movies, right? Yes. Sean Connery, bless his soul, right? Who who recently passed? Yes. Um, right. On the one hand, played played a good Russian in Hunt for Red October. Yes, which which is a weird story. Which is basically how I learned Russian. Um, <laughs> That's and, awesome. <laughs> and um, but then he, he does this really beautiful movie with Michelle Pfeiffer called The Russia House. Um, yes, which is John Le Carre uh, adaptation. And when you watch that movie, what you see there is a portrayal of the country of the Soviet Union and of Russians that is much more nuanced, that, that personalizes them, that humanizes the culture, even humanizes, you know, the government in yes. a way that stands out dramatically uh, against, you know, the way you would you would see the Russians portrayed in a Rocky movie, right? And Huff Red October sits somewhere in between, right? Because you have bad Russians and good Russians in a sense, right? You have Russians sort of acting out of out of national interest, though, but aren't really evil. And so you have sort of the, the evil Russian spectrum and then the good humanist Russian spectrum, and then somewhere in the middle, uh, you know, it's Hunt for Red October, right? Sean yeah. Connery there. So I think I think you have different portrayals in film um, <laughs> over time, but I think still think right. Like the dominant one is that the Russians are our enemies because yes. they've got a lot of bombs and yeah. uh, nobody else does. Right? Doctor Schmidt with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. Something else I've got to get your take on since 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 you're the you're 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 the expert uh, when it comes to Russia, or at least you're you're the expert at least for for this program. Um, why is it that the United States and whatever you want to call them, whether you call them the elite or that you call them the New World Order, whatever you want to call them, uh, 
why is it there's always these constant war drums with Russia? We always want to go, like, one of the things that Hillary was wanting to do when she was <laughs> running for president in her weird failed attempt where she lost to the reality show guy. Um, <laughs> still to this day is amazing to me. <laughs> the most unpopular guy in politics. <laughs> a buffoon. A reality TV show guy. A guy who cuts professional wrestling promos. Loses to a seasoned politician. Like, <laughs> But even with Hillary... She was all about wanting to try to figure out some way to go to war with Russia. And right before Biden got elected, he was kind of heading down that path. He's decided, thank God, since then to kind of change and do something else. Oh, I don't know. Focus on his own country. <laughs> um, why is it that everybody wants to go have problems with Russia? Does it get back to that? Everybody's a child of the 80s? <laughs> or well, what is that? Well, well, Joe Biden is not a child of the 80s. No, 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 he is not. <laughs> He's not even a politician from the 80s. <laughs> I mean, our, our generation is, we'll never get a president. Gen X is totally <laughs> I think we're going to skip right over us. But, um, you know, I think it's 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 the Russians, right? It's, yes. And, and people don't want to go, don't want to start shooting. That's bad for everybody, right? Nobody yeah. doesn't want to start a shooting war. But... In her case, she understood what Russia was doing to increase, um, you know, uncertainty and mayhem and and hurt human rights around the world. Uh, you know, particularly look at the Syria example. Yes, um, it's it's pretty awful. And uh, to support that regime and Putin's supporting that regime. Look, he he does a couple of things, right? So when I was when I was at the at, at Sam's at the School of Advanced Military Studies, yeah, we had students who who were, were pulled out and went to do operational planning for Odyssey Dawn, which was the which was the operation in Libya, right? That ended up yeah. essentially handing over Gaddafi to uh, partisans and, and then they killed him, right? Yeah. Well, Putin is watching that. Then he's watching what happens in Iraq when Saddam Hussein is top. Yes. And he, he says, right, he's watching what happens in Ukraine and he's blaming both the Orange Revolution earlier and then the 14 Revolution of, of Dignity, it's called, uh, yeah. the Maidan, uh, on us, right? And he's saying the problem in the world is that the United States is going around, they're violating everybody's sovereignty, and they're picking leaders. Well, right? he's he got it right. He <laughs> says, I don't know, but, but some, somewhat, right? Yeah. He says, he says, I don't want that. He says, I'm going to stand against the principle of doing what you did in Libya or doing what you did in Syria. Yeah. And so... So he's willing to support guys like Assad doing the kinds of things that he did, gassing thousands of civilians, right? Yeah. Allowing a group like ISIS to exist. He's willing to do this kind of stuff in order to basically say that I want to make Russia great again and Russia has, is a world power, not just a regional power, right? Yeah. And so Hillary Clinton's looking out there and she's going, that's bad. Right. Joe Biden is looking out there and going, that's bad, too. And oh, by the way, they have interfered with our election. They've interfered with the British election. They've interfered with the Polish election. Yeah. Right. And they may well have had important effects determining those elections. 
And we can't let that stand because the core of what we are as Americans is the ability to have a free choice. It is a free choice that is unaffected by a foreign power, much less, you know, a hostile foreign power. Yeah. I think that's what's that's what's driving everybody. You know, and to be clear, though, also, right, everybody forgets that Republicans passed a veto proof bill with the Democrats to keep in place <laughs> the toughest sanctions on Russia, the Magnitsky Act sanctions. Yeah. Why? Because they killed Magnitsky in prison. Um, to keep those sanctions in place when when Donald Trump wanted to get rid of them. So I don't think it's just partisan. I think on both sides, people realize how bad Russian behavior has been yeah. under Putin. We have got Matthew Schmidt with us today. He is fantastic. He is the Associate Professor of National Security and Political Science. He joins us today here on our big program and uh, discussing all things Russia today. And according to, uh, and this just uh, something that just got posted online apparently a few moments ago. Russia says it could be forced to protect its citizens in East Ukraine. (laughs) Uh, A senior Kremlin official said on Thursday, Russia could, under certain circumstances, be forced to defend its citizens in eastern Ukraine, and that major military hostilities could mark the beginning of the end of Ukraine as a country. (laughs) So we're still messing around with Ukraine. (laughs) Even to this day, Matthew. It just... Yeah, yeah, just never gets I, better. I, I, it's <laughs> that something could happen. Um, they've been running war games right up along the border. Yeah, they're setting things up right. Uh, I haven't seen what what you just read, but the, it's it's in line with what's been said for a while now. They're setting yeah. things up to have an excuse to bring troops in to say it's not a war; it's a humanitarian mission. mission you know, this- <laughs> Because nobody actually has wars anymore, right? We all have. Oh yeah, nobody does wars anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a. Bring in food and water. Yeah. Uh, It's a it's a real risk, but uh, I I will say this is that nobody can stop Putin from taking Kiev. If he wants to roll tanks, he can take Kiev. The Ukrainian military has done phenomenal things, but they're a speed bump on the way. Yes. However, if he has to take Kiev, it means he's lost the war. Because well, it would bring down a level of international response um, that he that he couldn't handle. So I don't think he's going to do that. He's going to hang in the region of the Donbass. He's going to solidify his control. He's going to try to turn it into Crimea and and have it declare yes. allegiance to Russia in a formal sense, all this kind of stuff. And uh, the Ukrainians have a real problem, right, if that happens. Yes. It is uh, Dr. Schmidt. He's with us today. He's an expert on Russia, and he's uh, wrote just amazing articles and uh, has put a lot of time and effort into uh, into studying Russia. And apparently he learned Russian by uh, <laughs> watching the hunt for Red October, which is awesome. <laughs> I learned many, many, uh, much of Spanish by watching Lucha Libre professional wrestling. So. You know, I you, you can you can you know learn this stuff from these uh, from these different deals. Um, a couple other side weird Russia centric questions, I guess. Um, why is the United States? At least they were in the early '90s and kind of starting to get to be that way again. Why? Why is why are Russian women so hot to American men? <laughs> You've been on both sides yeah, of the uh, of the issue, my friend. Touch that one. <laughs> I, I will say, 
Because it's like they're in all the movies. They're they're always, you know, like he said, the Rocky movie. It, 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 it's like Brigitte Nielsen, even though she wasn't, you know, actually Russian. <laughs> they had to make her out to be a certain way and all this stuff. Like, what is the deal here? <laughs> well, so I have a theory, actually. I'll tell you okay, about. yes, I would love to hear your theory. We're just it's having fun with this. <laughs> it's called the Smetana Theory. Uh, which is the sour cream theory. Okay. Sour cream is so good and so magical uh, that, that if you eat enough of it, you're, you're drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> that, that and watching, watching people wear, you know, stiletto heels. Yes. On cobblestones in the winter. <laughs> it's just mesmerizing. That's it. Just for the sake of saying, how do you not break an ankle or fall over? That too. And I can't walk on them safely. So I, I think that's, uh, that's part of the allure. Well, and then on the other side, you know, Russian men are always, you know, like you mentioned the thing about Putin earlier. You know, he's always out on a horseback and with his shirt off and. You always see Fedor throwing the kettlebells and, and, and all these things. And it's like Russian men are always powerful and all that. <laughs> and uh, most of them are because I've thrown kettlebells. Those things are for real. Uh, that I always thought it was just some gimmick to sew kettlebells. But uh, they actually do work. Big, big kettlebell. Yes. Out there. The industry. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, pushing against the... Uh, tax schemes now yes yes don't want that infrastructure <laughs> that's right that's right um getting back to something that that you talked about earlier which i i i wish i would have jumped on that when i did but uh we'll we'll go back and get it now i guess um you mentioned that putin one of the things that he did was he watched all the weird stuff going on in in Iraq and what we did to Gaddafi and all these things. It's been proven out now that part of the reason why <laughs> Saddam was always, you know, Sean Hannity would get on TV every night and be like, oh, the mass graves and, you know, all this stuff. But yet, when Saddam was gone, he wasn't the strong man holding all these people, all these crazies down. And so they just kind of went nuts. Same thing over in Syria, or not Syria, but uh, with uh, with Gaddafi. Libya. Yeah, with Libya. Um, do you think that it's it's one of the things that there's a bunch of crazies and Putin is kind of holding them down, or is it a situation of no, they just haven't known anything other than the Russian strongman all these years. You mean Putin holding people down in Russia? Yeah, Putin yeah. Holding, like Assad, yeah. No, just with with. Oh, that's a tough. Um, yeah. Um, so how to say? It? Yeah. See, uh, that's the thing. You you, you yeah, don't know so because I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think there there are not there are not a bunch of crazies in Russia. Yeah. There are a bunch of people who got very rich very fast in the '90s when the Soviet economy privatized. Right. So you have an entire economy. A fairly big one where essentially money doesn't matter, right? It's accounting measure. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have, really have value in the Soviet Union. And suddenly you have to put a value on everything. Yes. I mean everything, right? How much does the chair cost that you're sitting in, right? How much does the does a microphone cost? Nobody yeah. knows. And so they have to figure this out. In that process, there's a lot of corruption. 
Yes. Right, because there's a lot of, <laughs> of, of yes. a lot of people who know a lot of things, and then most people don't have any information on these things because they're yep. busy living their lives, raising families. Yeah. So these people get a hell of a lot of power. And yes, very are, quick. They helped put Putin in power. Is the thing Putin was put in power by a, a subset of the oligarchy, and then and then kept the rest of the oligarchy in control. Um, yes. So a, a, a variety of uh, of different you know oligarchs that we we can talk about, right? Yeah. Um, that that he pushed down, right, and established state control over. So I don't think there are a bunch of crazies out there. There are a bunch of people who are deciding: is it better to work with the government, or is it better to have the ambition of you know being the next Putin? Yes. And, and, and see, that's on. that's on right now. Putin is is still firmly in control, and hasn't hasn't sort of identified an heir yet because i think he knows that if he if he even signals right even nods towards an heir apparent it's going to be like a mafia movie and uh <laughs> and, and he doesn't want that to happen right he doesn't want that kind of uh, warfare to break out that's right he doesn't want to put he doesn't want to put all that heat on the next guy <laughs> yeah. um getting back to kind of kind of an idea that that you brought up there with with the economy and everything of, of Russia. Uh, I know that in the United States, one of the biggest fears that the righties and all the conservatives have is, oh, socialism. <laughs> They're all afraid of socialism. Oh my God, socialism! Oh, bring this one on. Okay. Socialism's coming to the United States. You can't do socialism with six hundred dollar checks. <laughs> Uh, the thing that I'm trying to figure out here with the, the, the model that the United States has seems to not be working. If Kim Kardashian is now a billionaire, <laughs> that system is not working. <laughs> You're never going to have, you know, I watch Bill O'Reilly and these guys and they're, they're all freaking out because... Well, Joe Biden's coming for your house. Guys. <laughs> Joe Biden's not going to come take your house. <laughs> what, 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 is, what is the deal with, you know, all, all these different folks? Because you, 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 see the, you see the conservatives, you know, yelling and screaming about, you know, they're coming to take my house. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose all my stuff. $600 checks. Oh, my God, it's socialism. Biden wants to fix a few roads and bridges. Oh, my God, it's socialism. But yet, on the Democratic side, they there's a good portion of the... Well, and I shouldn't say a good portion because the corporate Democrats want everything to stay the same because whatever the donors want, they want. Amazingly, it's, it's weird how that happens. Um, <laughs> the thing that I'm trying to figure out, Dr. Schmidt, is with the idea that... Uh, like you said, we're, you know, we're trying to figure out what a chair costs. We're trying to figure out what this costs. And it's mainly just, you know, money's not really a thing over there as, 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 which I'm surprised a Russian rapper has not come up with, with that line. Money ain't a thing. Um, what would, what would be so bad about all this dreaded socialism? And also it's not really socialism from what I can tell. The progressives just want everybody to have the same, just want to have a level playing field. And we're tired of watching guys building boats inside of their boats. 
yeah. I just, I, I mean, this is so strange. And since you're on both sides of the coin and you brought that up earlier, I, I, I got to have your idea on this. So here's, here's the thing. Number one, the United States of America created social democracy. Yes. Everybody <laughs> said, stop yapping and get their head around that fact, okay? <laughs> the rest of the world was a monarchy, a dictatorship. Yes. Right? <laughs> and we weren't, and we said in 1900, basically, hey, you know, you shouldn't have to die penniless and on the streets. And then it took a few years in the Great Depression, and we have the things that I dare anybody to say they want to give up. Are you going to give up your Social Security? Yeah. You're going to give up your Medicaid? Oh, yeah. Right? All popular programs. Programs that, they're just like the one that Biden's president that built the roads. Where did the interstate highway program come from, folks? <laughs> Microsoft didn't build that. IBM didn't build that. Yes. That was us. <laughs> Secondly, today, 70 years after the end of World War II, a bunch of those countries that were monarchies and whatnot have become what we call social democracies. And all that yep. means is that you still have private property. You still have a stock market you can invest <laughs> in. You can still get rich. You, but you pay some more in taxes. And what do you get for those taxes? Well, I have three kids. Anybody want to guess how much I have to pay? Yeah. In daycare? Yeah. All right. So instead, I pay I pay 10% more in taxes, and I have widespread daycare. Not just for me, but for everyone else. For everybody. That's right. What do I pay in, what do I pay in health insurance? Same kind of thing. Hey, we have oh, national yeah. Nobody says, nobody says <laughs> Great Britain, right? The United Kingdom is not a socialist state. In the way that they think about it with the communist, you know, with the Soviet Union, yes. So I, you know, I think, I think, I think it's ignorance, and I think it's the fact that that the conservative side, at least some conservatives, right, did a bait and switch, and they they take the term communism and they've switched it now with socialism, which isn't the same thing at all. No, it's not. And they use socialism out there on all the other shows. And people yes. are convinced that when somebody says the S word, it really means communist Russians. <laughs> it's all back to the Red Scare, baby. <laughs> yeah. See, that's, you know, one of the things that happened during the, uh, I, 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 I don't know. We're going to be putting this on YouTube. So if I say COVID-19 a few times, they're going to, they're going to get me for misleading information about COVID-19. Okay, whatever. Um... <laughs> We also put our videos on Rumble as well. Just, just, just I, I, I do what Alex Jones used to always say: cross post, and then they took the ability away for him to cross post everywhere. But <laughs> I, I hope you're a Kardashian. Man. Let's go for it. That's right. I'm with you on that. That's right. I hope you make it. Yeah. Uh, the a thing. Kardashian talking socialism. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Dreaded socialism. Oh my God. The thing that I've been trying to figure out is and and i just think that this is like you know they, they they often referred to jokes and stunts and things in professional wrestling as ribs i've often thought that they were pulled that the that literally the united states was pulling a rib on everybody during covid 19. every other country in the world got health care and money in their pockets the dreaded universal basic income um to stay home and fight the pandemic. And the United States, they went, eh. <laughs> I'm just amazed that in this country, we've got so much money that 
during a worldwide pandemic, they denied people health care and wouldn't give them money to stay home. <laughs> they just went, wear three masks, go to work. It's just amazing to me. You've been all over the planet. What, what, what did you think about all this? The, the, from, from a political perspective and just studying and everything, not not from a, yeah, you know. From I, a, I have, look, I've seen a lot of places, and I am a critic of the United States of America, but I'm a yeah. critic because I'm a patriot. Yes. And we are a very lucky to live in a country like we live in that's yes. strong enough and wealthy enough to give so many people a shot yes. right, at a better life. Maybe yes. not to be a billionaire, but at a, at a better life. Yeah. And, uh, it's amazing. You know, right before the, the, um, the pandemic, I was in Africa and then, and flew home a few weeks before it, it, it started this kind of thing. And so, you know, you see things in, in those, in places I was, I was flying through the middle East and, and then of course in Eastern Europe, Ukraine and things like that. We're lucky, but it's unconscionable to me that um, that the Trump administration and then uh, certain governors in concert with the Trump administration yep. effectively killed tens of thousands of Americans. Yeah. I teach national security. Yeah. Right? I know this stuff. And the single biggest national security failure in the roughly 250 year history of this country is happening right now. Yes. We're, we're going to, we're going to break 600,000 dead. Yeah. This country mobilized not trillions, tens of trillions, 13, $17 trillion to fight wars <laughs> over an event on nine 11. And I don't want to minimize this. Yeah. Where, where the number of people who died on 9-11 were dying every single 24 hours. Yes. For weeks yes. and months in this country. And we will have mobilized a fraction of what we mobilized in response to that. Yeah. And I'll just leave it there. That, that should blow everybody's minds. And they should remember it when they go to the ballot box. Because, and I, look, I, I don't care, Republican or Democrat. Well, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I grew up 27 miles down the road from Bob Dole. We used to say Russell his pencil. Should, should, we used to say in Hayes we'd say flush twice because Russell needs the water. Ah right? yes. That's awesome. We need principled leadership. <laughs> That's what we need. Principled leadership. That's not crazy. No. That put countries' interests and real people's interests first and foremost. And I don't care what color flag they're under. That's what we need, and that's what people need to think about when they go to the ballot box. Okay, rant over. That's fantastic. You're 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 amazing, my friend. That is, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Michael Savage always calls them the Democrats and the Republicrats. He's like, it's kind of the same. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Doctor Schmidt, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Uh, I really have enjoyed this. Uh, we have been talking with Dr. Matthew Schmidt today. He is an associate professor of national security and political science. He's worked with Senate and House Armed Services Committee members of Congress as a consultant on strategic planning for government, business, and the nonprofit sector. And Dr. Schmidt has been our guest today. We've been talking about Russia because he is indeed a Russia expert. And he's a Russia expert on everything from pop culture to... All the hot Russian women walking around with high heels on the cobblestone. That 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 was that was a great line earlier, by the way. 
And uh, he's... Because I'll tell you, I, could, I couldn't walk on it. And that's another thing. You know, every time I see Russian movies, it's like they always film them in the same spot. It's always the same buildings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like I'm watching Wichita, Wichita, Kansas rappers. They always film their music videos in the same spots. So... <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> well, Dr. Schmidt, you've been fantastic. I uh, I have learned a heck of a lot about national security and Russia and, and everything today and how, how Russia impacts the world around us and uh, and everything. I definitely would love to have you back to, uh, to, to chat about uh, impeachment or the Constitution. Uh, because I, I think you would give a uh, very, very different perspective than uh, folks like Glenn Beck and others who, so, who, 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 uh, <laughs> according to whatever, are uh, I'm flattered. I'm constitutionalists. Flattered. You've never spun yourself around in, in, in a gyroscope, I'm assuming, to uh, to, to, no, to cure your I ailments. So. I always wanted to go to space camp and touch this. That, that's right, at the Cosmosphere. <laughs> You know, and that's the thing when he was talking about spinning himself around in the gyroscope years and years ago to cure whatever thing that he had going on. That's what I immediately thought of is all those little kids over at the, the Cosmosphere in space camp during the summer spinning themselves around on the thing. Hey, I well, forgot. That means you guys are, are communists, right? Because it's the Cosmosphere. That's the right. Cosmosphere. That's right. I, oh, I, don't I, let I, that I, get around, I, Hutchinson. Oh, boy. <laughs> this, is a, this is a heavy, at least it seems to be a heavy, heavy Republican area. Um, before we let you go, how do people get a hold of you online, social media, read your columns? How, how do they do all this? Uh, so you can get me at M-A-T-T underscore J underscore Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T on Twitter. Okay. Uh, so at Matt underscore J underscore Schmidt. Uh, you can just uh, Google me if you type in uh, Matthew Schmidt, uh, University of New Haven or New Haven. I'll pop up there. Um, I have uh, a recent column on uh, the January 6th events in uh I forget now. Oh, they're going to kill me. Forbes or Fortune? I think it was in Fortune. That's right. Fortune. That's right. In Fortune magazine, um, people are willing to check out, and you can just email me at mschmidt at newhaven.edu. That's M S C H M I D is in Delta, T is in Tango at sign newhaven n e w h a v e n dot edu. <laughs> well, you also, are. Please buy your great Diggy's merch. At, That's at right. Merch, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You know what is always so funny is when I have Dr. J Izzo on here. He always tells him he always does a uh, app plug at the end. He's like, "Friends don't let friends not download the Jiggy Jaguar app." So, <laughs> yeah. okay, all right. Did you say I, I've never heard of it? Is it the Jiggy Jaguar app? It is the Jiggy Which Jaguar app. It's the Jiggy Jaguar app. Yes, Jiggy Jaguar app. That's, Jigman Freud, as as the great Jig Frank Catola calls. About the Jiggy Jaguar app. Download it. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you have been tremendous. I definitely want to do this again, and uh, you're great. Th thanks, thanks for uh, for getting up early with us and, and doing this show. And uh, that, that thanks for being with us today, my friend. Absolutely, it was my pleasure. I look forward to being on again. Uh, take care out there. Definitely. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you, Doctor.
You too. Appreciate it, sir. There he goes. Dr. Matthew Schmidt. And that wraps it up here from our big broadcast. We are coast to coast. We are border to border on iHeartRadio today. And uh, we are going to be posting this episode, I believe, to our friends over at Quad Pod. Yes, I am on the Quad Pod. And you can find us each and every day at JiggyJaguar.com. Lots of good stuff there from Mr. Schmidt. And uh, we thank you for listening and for watching. Go to Rumble or go to our website, JiggyJaguar.com, and you can watch the full video. Lots of good stuff happening. Thank you for listening to us on the stream at J-I-G-G-Y-J-H-E-Y-R.com. Thanks for downloading this on Quad Pod. And we will see you next time here on our big program. Peace and chicken grease, everybody.